It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. And welcome back, folks, to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Uh, the last show we did, we were talking about Michigan coming off the pause and what that would look like. And my esteemed colleague and friend, you know, Tim McCormick, watched so much basketball, played the game, had a lot of faith in what they would look like coming off of this pause because of the preparation he knew they were continuing to put in during it. Of course, Tim played the game at a high level at the University of Michigan, went on to be a first-round draft pick in the NBA, and now his broadcast career well underway as he's a an analyst on Pistons broadcast for Fox Sports Detroit. You hear him doing his college basketball commentary as well. And, of course, you hear him on the podcast here every week. Tim, my man, you called it. You said this team, and, and I believed and had faith that, that they would absolutely be able to find their rudder uh, rather quickly, and that's exactly what they did against Wisconsin. Absolutely, Sam. Uh, we we talked about the optimism and the the coaching excellence of Juwan Howard and the kind of impact that would have. When you look around the landscape of college basketball, teams that come off a pause are struggling. There there are some really good teams that that through isolation and inactivity lose their game. And and for Michigan, what they did in the second half uh, was astounding to me. Um, I talked to my good friend Bill Raftery this morning, and and he said, you know, before Michigan went out with the the pause, he said I felt they were just as good, just completely equal with Gonzaga and with Baylor. And he said after watching them, he said I'm convinced that they can beat those teams. They're just as good, and and I was really happy to hear him say that. And for maybe like a 30 minute period on Sunday during the second half of that Michigan game, I think there was a collective voice throughout college basketball that all said, wow, at the same time. I mean, for them to come back from 12 down, this is a story that is going to resonate for some time. And you can't help but be impressed by what they did. And there are storylines galore. First off, let let me go through a couple of thoughts I had. Michigan had every excuse to quit and go home with a loss, and no one would have questioned them. People would have felt bad for them. After three weeks off, they had a slow start. Um, and, and some people would say, oh, they were rusty. You know, they were a step slow on defense. I don't think that's the case. I think they came out and they played really hard. They were playing a Wisconsin team that was ready and motivated after an epic blowout in Ann Arbor. Um, Michigan gave up 39 points. And Wisconsin shot 54%. I don't think Michigan was sluggish. I give credit to a good opponent, a veteran team, very talented, well-coached. But what happened in the second half, Sam, was just a flat-out blowout. The the defense was stifling. The offense was crisp. The swagger was obvious. Man, that that was impressive, Sam. It it wasn't just good. It was great. I I think so, too. I I think that. You know, while they found their way offensively, so many of the themes you talked about storyline, so many of the things that we talked about in this podcast this year, you know, to be able to have a leader like Isaiah Livers, who we, we had on. And one of the things that stuck out to me in that conversation, where he said the conversation he had with with Jawan heading into the year, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, what do you expect from me? Do you do you want me to hunt my shot on a nightly basis? Do you want me to you know, fill in the gaps, you know, pick my spots. It's my night tonight, but it's someone else's night, another night. And he he's reflected upon that conversation and said, look, let the game come to you. It's not going to be one of those game, one of those issues with this team where you got to be a hunter all the time, but you got to be ready when we need you. And they needed him, Tim. And he was, he was there for him. He had, he carried him in the first half of the game. And you could tell, I mean, he had, he was putting it on the deck that step back three, Showed you he was on, and then that, you know, that 18 footer at the end of the half. I mean, he closed the scoring at the end of the first half. He opened the scoring in the second half with that basket cut. He gave them 
their rudder, that leader that can score, that can do so many things. But then the defense, you really made this point, and I feel like we got a hammer at home. They put it on them in the second half defensively, Tim. And I thought Jawan's adjustment of, you know, bringing some pressure, going three-quarter court, speeding them up. And by speeding them up, I don't I don't mean, you know, just making them rush. I'm talking about speeding them up at the end of the shot clock. This is a, del- a deliberate team anyway, Wisconsin is. So they, they like to be scoring late, in late clock. But if you're making them get into their offense late in the clock, they're discombobulated. Michigan's their athletes were moving them off their spots. To me, that's why their their best player in the second half was a freshman in Jonathan Davis. Uh, but that just wasn't enough to sustain them. Michigan completely threw them off kilter. I was scoring forty to twenty in the second half. Tim, it was a it was a, a clinic as far as I was concerned defensively. Man, thank thanks, Sam. You just dropped out about six different topics on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm just going to throw them out random. Jonathan Davis for Wisconsin is a future All Big Ten player. Love his game. That, that kid has NBA potential for sure. Um, you mentioned Livers. Three straight 20 or more games. He's playing like first team all Big Ten. And he's the best player on the best team and the best leader. So absolutely. And he reminds me a lot of Sadiq Bay of the Pistons. Yes. A beautiful shooter. Plays uh, an NBA kind of game. And scouts love comparisons at the next level. His skill set is just like Bay's. Um, I, I think he's a first-round draft pick. You talked about Juwan. Juwan deserves so much credit. Look, I, I'm not big on people saying, hey, so-and-so, I'll coach the losing coach. You hear that all the time. But but Juwan won that game with brilliant adjustments at half. You know, the three-quarter court pressure, jump-started the defense and picked up the pace a little bit. You know, one, one of the, the, the hidden keys – the Mike Smith elbow by your favorite player, Ben <laughs> Davidson. I, I didn't, I personally did not think it was a cheap shot. Yeah. It, was. Um, it didn't, it didn't matter. <laughs> Juwan grabbed that moment as motivation and he fought for Smith and his team, you know, they got fired up. He got a T he sent a message. It was basically game over because all of a sudden Michigan was 10 down at that point and they played inspired. And I love this. Immediately after the elbow, Smith was shaken up, but you could see it. I mean, he got hammered. And so what did Juwan do? He wouldn't let him get distracted. Didn't need payback, no anger. Look, I'm running a set for you. Go get me a layup. And he did. And that, that's really the play when the blow, blow up began. Yeah, you know he was feeling it because he turned down the ball screen, Tim. That's the thing that jumped out to me. Yeah. He turned yeah. down the ball screen and went to his left and completely – I mean, you talk about a guy caught by surprise. Dimitri Trice was like, what? (laughs) So, yeah, it was a great call by Jawad, a great play by by Mike Smith to get it done. But I got a stat to throw at you, Tim. I'm I'm willing to bet, knowing you as I do, admiring your career. I can't remember which one of your teammates uh, called you the big fundamental. But I'm willing to (laughs) bet in your career, Tim, that – in in any game that you played eighteen plus minutes, you got at least one rebound. Is that would that be far fetched to say? Would that be far fetched? No, that's that that's that's very true. Look, if I only got one, I was going to probably sit on the bench. So yeah, I, I definitely got more than one. And so did did it not? Was it not glaring? I mean, this was not a game where Hunter Dickinson, you know, dominated with his points. You know, the points that he scored, but the points he generated, the you know the the plays, the balls he took off the glass. I mean, 15 rebounds, five offensive, none bigger than that one late in the game. Michigan's down one. He gets a rebound, kicks it out to Isaiah Livers for a three-pointer that put him up, and they never look back. But 15 rebounds for him. And then Nate Reavers and Micah Potter together, Tim. Nate Reavers played 22 minutes. Micah Potter played 18 minutes. And they got a combined zero rebounds. Tim McCormick. That is dominance, my man. I, I I don't know that I've ever seen that before. Sam, if I put you in that game, you grab at least three rebounds. Right? <laughs> the long the but, long ones, maybe. Maybe I can take yeah, out a few so, long ones. <laughs> so Hunter Dickinson was the player I was most concerned with going into the game because of the COVID pandemic, because of the quarantine. Inactivity is a big problem for big guys. How is his conditioning going to be? Bigs are hurt the most by a sedentary lifestyle. There's no doubt about it. 
plus he's going up against two of the Big Ten's best. And and Hunter's scoring had been down a little bit as teams have doubled and triple team him. I thought maybe he's discouraged. He was incredible. Double figure points, 15 boards. He rebounded out of his zone better than I had ever seen him. He blocked five shots. Yeah. Reavers. <laughs> it, it was it was really fun to watch. And I also give Austin Davis credit too yes, because sir. he played some good minutes in there too. I, I thought that that was Michigan's best box out game of the year. They did a fabulous job of getting position and getting the, the guards helping. It was really inspiring. Yeah, you mentioned Hunter Dickinson. I mean, some of those blocks, I mean, getting caught in switches. Well, caught is the wrong word. Being put in switches on on Demetri Trice. And, and but for the, you know, the Xavier Simpson ripoff move at the, with his very first shot, the <laughs> hook he hit, other than that, Hunter did a great job when he was in a switch on, on Trice. So I, I just, you know, it's one of those games that if you just look at the box score, and yes, you're impressed. You are impressed with the rebounds, but you you compare it with the goose egg on the other side, and then you look at the other things that Hunter did in the game. You look at how consequential his offensive rebounds were. You look at the defense that he played, and you say, hey, it wasn't his highest scoring game, but definitely one of his best games of the season. And Sam, I I know in the transition from John Teske to the Hunter Dickinson era, there's no doubt that Hunter is a much better player in, in almost every facet of the game. Um, but but the one area that I would give Teske credit is pick and roll defense, being able to cover on the perimeter. I can't say that anymore after what I watch. Michigan was truly able to switch one through five, and Hunter played very good position. He moved his feet. He contested shots. He blocked some of them. And and so now, now I give him credit. Hunter Dickinson is a better player than John Teske in every way. Yeah, and that's you know what that's lofty. That's lofty uh, because John Teske wound up being a really good player. Here, Hunter is a freshman coming in like that. We talked a lot about Isaiah Livers and the great the great performance he put on and Hunter Dickinson, but Franz Wagner gave them some some big moments, some key sequences in there too. Uh, you know, Tim is. You, know, you you had a big sequence, a big three he had in there. He had a couple of sweeping hooks. I mean, you needed someone else to come alive offensively, and he was able to do that for him. Yeah, I had somebody say to me, you know, Franz is overrated. And I just, I wanted to give him a good slap in the face. Franz is so good. I get mesmerized by him. Let me say it again. He is so good. I love his game, and it so translates to the NBA. He's going to be a star defender. His driving ability will be better as a pro than a college player because, quite frankly, the NBA is so spread out and you can't cover anyone by not touching them. And and he knows his role. He does everything well. And, Sam, can you tell him a fan? I'm a big <laughs> fan of Man, I love his game. Well, you know what, Tim? You, you, you pointed out what a tremendous second half they played as a, as a team. We could – we could highlight performance after performance, key minutes. I mean, I, I thought there were some some great moments. I, the, the crossover and transition from Eli Brooks and finish. I mean, it, you can point out a lot of moments like that. But collectively as a team, the thing that stuck out to me was the feeling I had at halftime. They were down 12. I said, okay, they're in this game. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, just in, or you're on the road. Think about that. Think about being on the road against Wisconsin generally you down by 12 you're like man this is whoo i don't know about this hard one. team to come back right against, hard right? team to come back on but really felt like because you know that this team is so dialed in on the defensive end of the floor you got faith in the play that they're gonna find they're gonna find at least a run like it's not gonna be this this game where wisconsin just runs away from them and i i think that that's you know that's not a, a homerish feeling i think that they've earned that kind of faith, the you know, the you called it a culture win. I know you. you this is one of the things you said, and that's what I feel. I feel like there's a culture in this team that you know defensively they're going to lock in. They're going to be together. Jawan talked about family. Our brother got punched in the mouth. We're going to respond. I really kind of feel like we're seeing what you're talking about when you say. I, I, I guess I think that's what you mean when you say culture win. What do you mean when you say culture win? So. 
the Wisconsin win was a culture win, no question about it. I've been on so many teams where the coaches preach culture, and usually it's just words, and they ring hollow after a bad loss or off-the-court issues or someone yells at the coach. or you know, It's just a bad loss really can blow up a culture in a hurry. Uh, the only team I've ever been on with a true winning culture was the New York Knicks with Pat Riley. And from day one, he preached toughness and togetherness and brotherhood. And it was a daily theme. And it wasn't just when it was convenient or it worked well with a motivational story. He was upbeat and challenging and no days off. And he demanded hard work. And, and he showed love and appreciation. And he said on a daily basis, guys, we are going to be good. And you've got to believe it. Don't lose track of the fact that we are moving in the right direction. And there's going to be days when you question me, don't. And, and so when I watched Juwan, I, I think that, that Pat Riley was as good as anyone in the sports history at building culture. And he taught Juwan that Miami. And Eric Spolster and the Heat showed it in the playoffs last year. And Juwan is one of the best coaches in college basketball that truly understands Pat Riley's mindset about culture. And so to go into Madison, expect to win after another COVID setback through through three weeks off in isolation and inactivity, it doesn't work for most teams. Um, but but for what they pulled off was so inspiring to me. And and as an example, when I was at Michigan, if we ever won a game on the road, we, um, we got a, a big five-pound chocolate bar from Hershey's. And it was kind of a, a statement that if you guys can go into somebody else's building and win, it's going to be sweet. You deserve something extra special. And so we always relished that. We, we would break off big pieces of this chocolate bar. And, and so I know that, that in sports, there's nothing that can build a culture more than going into a tough venue and fighting and clawing and coming out with a win. This game against Wisconsin is going to resonate. I think it was the biggest win season. I think it was their best half. And I think that they're just going to build off of it. Mm. Yeah, Tim, I, it, we've seen a lot of impressive games from them that that game against Wisconsin the earlier game against Wisconsin was really impressive but this one is it's gotten so much attention I mean so many people are saying they think this might be the most impressive victory of the season because of the circumstances and I'm having a hard time disagreeing with that but uh, I do want to get your take on the on the Will Cheddar Chet Holmgren matchup but let's do that a little bit later first let's talk to basketball royalty let's talk to the guy who basically there's a before and after there's a before he's the inflection point in Michigan basketball history, Cassie Russell. He's going to be our guest this week. Yeah, I am. Um, I had heard his name. I collected his basketball card. I watched him when I was a very, very young boy. And when I was playing for the Atlanta Hawks at training camp, um, there were, there was an older guy that, that walked into the gym to watch practice. And I asked, our coach, Bobby Weiss, I said, who is that? And he said, oh, that's Cassie Russell. <laughs> My eyes lit up. I had never met him. I knew his name. I knew the history. And so I raced over there, had a great conversation with him. We became friends. And, and so over the years, anytime I get to see Cassie Russell, it's a special day. Yeah, it's always special when we get a chance to talk to him. Had the pleasure to interview him a couple of times and Really, really looking forward to it because I feel like we get a history lesson every single time, and I don't expect this to be any different. So we're going to get to a break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to be joined by Cassie Russell when we return on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And we are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Pleased to be joined by Michigan basketball royalty and just basketball royalty in general. When they say the house that Cassie built, everyone knows who you're talking about. None other than the great Cassie Russell with us here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Cassie, thanks a lot for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, Cassie, I'm so honored to speak with a true legend. Um, I think that Glenn Rice and Cassie Russell, the greatest Michigan players ever. Um, a couple of your awards, two-time All-American in the 60s, two Final Fours, three Big Ten titles, the number one pick in the entire NBA. You won a championship with the Knicks. You were an All-Star. I could go on and on, but we wouldn't get a chance to talk to you if I did so, Cassie. I'd love to, to, to welcome you and to hear your perspective on how proud you must be of your alma mater, Michigan's number three in the country. Yeah, especially, uh, you know, living in the South for the last uh, 20, 20 years, you know, you always hear, uh, you know, about the Big Ten, oh, the Big Ten this and the Big Ten that. So this gives me a chance uh, to kind of keep them quiet. Um, I'm really proud of the way they're playing. And uh, Jawan Howard has done an outstanding job. You don't really need me to say that, but uh, I, I was I was curious as to how he would approach uh, you know, the Michigan basketball since he was uh, played in the NBA for a number of years, but never had had a head coaching position. But I wonder if all of his experience in having played and having been around coaches kind of gave him a little bit of an inside scoop on how to form chemistry and, and what he would attribute to his team's success. But uh, it's good to be able to talk about my alma mater being in first place in the Big Ten, and, and I hope they'll stay there. Cassie, you're a coach yourself. You've coached for well over 20 years. I'm currently coaching at Flagler College, the, the young ladies down in Florida right now. Um, can, can you share with our, our listeners, you know, a little bit about, um, you know, what you're doing these days? And, and I know you've talked to Juwan a little bit um, earlier in the year. Maybe you can share something about those conversations. Yeah, I just had a conversation with him very briefly. That was very thoughtful of him to call. Um, and after he got the job, uh, uh, I just wanted him to know that I'm praying for him. Uh, and uh, I know coming in, it, it can be a tough situation coming straight into a college position. Uh, but but I, what I'm doing now is I'm really blessed. Uh, of course, I love coaching. Coaching has been my passion. Uh, I was in Savannah. Uh, and then they discontinued the men and women program. And uh, so I stayed in Savannah. Then my, my late wife passed away. And then I kind of stayed around in Savannah for another few years. And uh, the gentleman that was my athletic director at SCAD became the athletic director at Flagler College. He had been there for about 10 years. And he called me and said, I know you're retired. I know you don't want to coach anymore. Well, I, I didn't want to stick around too long because I don't want people to think I was looking for their job. But uh, yeah, coaching has always been my passion in that I was blessed to have played the game for a number of years. And then I took what I played and learned from having played against and and with a lot of great players. And you put all that together and then I got my coaching start. So uh, I'm here uh, at Flagler College, which is a part of the Peach Belt Conference. And he asked me to come down. And I said, no, I don't want to coach anymore. He said, well, look. I just hired a new coach, Maurice Smith, who had been up at Georgia College for 10 years, very successful. Hired him as a new coach. They drove up two and a half hours to Savannah and had lunch with me. So I prayed about it. And it was really a good opportunity to get out of Savannah from where I lived, having been with my late wife for almost 20 years there as a coach, but was married almost 30 years. But I, I needed a, a change of scenery, and I had never coached women i'd heard about them they say they listen better than you guys do but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> i thought i'd give it a shot guys and come down so i've been down uh about a year now uh coaching uh working with the girls uh post up people uh you know footwork uh jump hooks this type of thing and so i mean it is my passion to be able to give something back to the game which has been an absolute blessing 
for me, having gone from high school to, you know, the big blue and then into the pros and then having played there and then God blessed me with the ability to, to coach. So what a great opportunity it is uh, to give something back to the game. And that's what I'm doing now as an assistant coach at Flagler College. Uh, uh, just kind of make my own schedule, you know, being 76, you don't you don't want to run and rip too much because it, it really is for, you know, the, the, the young hearts, uh, the people in their 40s and 50s and maybe mid-60s. But you start getting into your 70s, it's uh, probably time to, you know, probably curtail. But, but my mind is still good. I still enjoy it. So mm-hmm. I'm doing what I enjoy. And, you know, that's always a blessing to be able to do what you enjoy and, and make a living doing it. You know, Cassie, you mentioned the game has blessed you. You certainly blessed Michigan. You can't walk in Chrysler Arena. You, you go up the escalator, and there you are. There's a huge, huge mural of you as Chrysler was being erected. So when people talk about great players, they always start with you. But I'm curious, you, as a guy who was a great player yourself and now has coached the game a number of years, just starting with Michigan, guys, and I know there are a lot of great players, but guys that you saw wear the Michigan uniform that made you say, wow, that guy that guy that really stands out to you is one of the best players at Michigan that you've ever seen. Well, we've seen a lot of great players. Um, you know, you follow them. Um, I can recall having come back for a reunion and had players from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And for me to walk into the arena, I always laugh when I come into Chrysler Arena, and I'm very humble. I, I remember when I saw that going up the escalator, uh, and Glenn Rice was walking behind. He was coming up the escalator with me. And my wife was in front of me. My late wife was in front of me, and I saw that. Uh, and I just, I really kind of almost lost it. Uh, in, in, in thanking God for the opportunity, because, you know, I never got a chance to see the inside of the old field house when I made a visit to Michigan. It was it was rumored that Strack lost the keys, but they say <laughs> the greatest movie ever made, not showing me Yost field house, you know. <laughs> so I understood that when I came back and I looked in the inside and I saw that it was all dirt, but obviously I understood why those kind of field houses were built you know, in the 40s and the 50s, you know, for structure and, and for military reasons. But but uh, it was meant for me, you know, as I came up the escalator, it was meant for me to go to Michigan because I was really headed to Cincinnati. And I prayed about it. And the Lord said, call Michigan. And I said, call Michigan. Well, I hadn't heard from Michigan in almost three weeks. Then I found out, you know, I got a little taste of my first bureaucracy that, you know, it had been said that I was no longer interested in Michigan. So uh, Michigan didn't follow up on it. And then, of course, I won't go into all of the personal reasons as to why they didn't call back because they were told I wasn't interested and there was a reason for that. But anyway, I prayed about it and the Lord had me call Michigan. And I called and talked to Coach Scala. And he eventually got me on with Coach Dave Strack. And so I said, Coach, I hadn't heard from you. And so he told me the reasons. And so I said, well, I'd like to make a visit. But it, it was meant. You know, God had his hands on me. It, it was meant. It wasn't anything luck or any happenstance. It was meant for me to go to Michigan. And that's why I, I you know, I take my hat off and, and uh, because it was noted as a football power. Uh, not noted for his basketball, but was on the rise because had uh, had been I think eight and six either the year before I came, uh, and, uh, and and so they were on the rise. Had good recruiting, strike, and those guys did that. But you know, when I look back over all of the great players that have gone to Michigan, I just I really feel fortunate that a lot of the guys that see me, they say you started it all, and that's very that's very humbling. Uh, it, it is because Michigan was not known. And you guys know as well as I know, he was known for his football promise, but not, not basketball per se. But uh, when I came to make the visit, Billy Bunn was my host. And he said, listen, we we really need, you know, guys like yourself to help us build this program. And so 
Uh, I had a nice weekend with him. I really enjoyed Dave Strike. I really got to know Coach Scala and Coach Jorgson, who both were from Chicago, and that had really talked Coach Strike into coming to see me personally. And he did that. Coach Dave Strike came to see me personally in Chicago, in all gear guards where I lived. And, uh, you know, they made sure that they uh, took care of it. They said, well, we got a we got, a, we got two or three white men coming to visit Kansas, so everybody be nice. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody really knows those little bitty stories, but I thought they were kind of nice to share with people that they really respected Coach Strack and Coach Scala coming to get one of their own to go away to college. And uh, But I look back over that and look back over all of the great players, obviously, you know, the name, of course, the Fab Five, they stick out. And and uh, there were a lot of great players. Uh, uh, Rice, of course, uh, the great Glenn, the great performance in the NCAA that really upped his stock. Uh, that's truly one of the really pure shooters in the game. So I look back over it and I just really get chills thinking about uh, how the basketball came up. Uh, it wasn't bad prior to me, but uh, a lot of people say, that I inspired people to come to Michigan and inspired guys to play. And that's, that, that's, that's very humbling when you think about it. And, and I see them playing now and I see Juwan coaching now. Uh, and I'm just blessed to still be around to, to even see that uh, being in my seventies. You're definitely that guy from Michigan. You mentioned looking at Cincinnati. I got to believe the big O has something to do with you looking at, at Cincy. So let's, let's draw the question out and just, you know, best players that you have played against or seen. I imagine Oscar Robinson is one of those guys. But who who are the guys that would be up there in your Mount Rushmore, the top few players that you've seen play the game? Well, if you're going to start talking about Mount Rushmore, you cannot, out of all respect to basketball, you cannot start that conversation unless you start with Bill Russell. If you're basing greatness on productivity, uh, the man played Man won 11 championships. You can say uh, what you want to say about the era that he came up in, but he still had to play. Mm-hmm. He revolutionized the game. Uh, so if you're going to start with Mount Rushmore in in, to- in terms of building the team, you got to start with Russell. But I, I dread getting into a conversation like that because I was very play against a lot of those great players. And, of course, when you mentioned the Big O, uh, a lot of people don't realize that he came to my high school and had lunch with me. And that's when I sat down at home that night and I just really cried. I told my mother that one of the greatest players that played the game has come to my high school to try to get me to go to Cincinnati. And I wow. took, I took a visit to Cincinnati and a, and a lot of people don't notice they can't do anything to me now because of statute limitations. <laughs> <laughs> but when I when I made the visit, guys, I played Oscar one on one, and I learned more basketball in that session than I had in the few years that I was found in a PE class in 1958 and taught how to play the game by Larry Hawkins. I learned more basketball playing the big old. He he never he, he never knew that because I never told him. But I played him one on one, and I learned a triple threat position. And the year that I played him one on one, the man set the triple double record in the NBA in 1962. So you know he was razor sharp, mm-hmm. and he was and he and he was probably just being nice to not destroy me because I was uh, possibly a recruit for Cincinnati. <laughs> but, I, but I played it one-on-one, and I learned more basketball. I learned that triple threat position, and I took that, and I worked on that all summer. I developed the outside shot. Of course, I already had the jumper. But I, I developed the medium game where I could pull up, and I could also finish at the basket. Well, I learned... Being in that triple threat position was was what I thought was a was a blessing in disguise, and I worked on it all summer after I graduated, and then I had a chance to work on it as a freshman. So when I became eligible to play as a sophomore, having played 
what do you call it at Michigan, JV, man, I was I was ready. And then I sat down one game, I think it was Michigan playing against Creighton against Paul Silas, and I watched Bill have a great game against Silas. And Billy became at, at, that, at that particular game in the 2020 club. And I said to myself, you know, I think I can play at that next level. You know, I don't care what anybody says. You have to come to grips with the fact that you feel you're ready to go to the next level. Because there is a there is a drastic change from high school to college. Uh, I mean, the players are bigger, they're stronger. Uh, the competition is better. But I just sat there and I remember that game because Billy had Billy Bunn was one of the reasons I really came to Michigan because he's such a big teddy bear guy, about six eight, but really loved the game and really was really a great host for me that weekend. Oh man, you gotta come back. And he was he was beating my butt in pool and he stopped beating me uh, two to one. He says, You can't finish this unless you come back in the fall. <laughs> so there, there are no little bitty things that come up as I talk about the fact that Oscar Robinson, of course, was very instrumental in my game moving to the next level. And then I called him and I told him that I had kind of prayed about it and that I felt that the Lord had led me to Michigan. So I I, I decided I was going to go to Michigan because I had narrowed it down to four teams. But Oscar, he was in, instrumental in my game going to the next level. But when you look at all the great players I played against, Oscar and Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain and Jerry West, uh, I mean, when you think about those right off the top of my head, I, I think about Hal Greer, Oscar Robinson, Jerry West, John Havlicek, Bill Russell, Sam Jones. I mean, I was blessed to come in as a number one pick in '66. But look at the look at the blessing I, I I encountered having played against these guys, and of course with Willis Reed and and uh, Dave DeBusher. Uh, Walt Frazier, Dick Barnett, Bill Brandt, all these guys. Uh, Nate Thurman uh, played with when I got traded to San Francisco. Played with Kareem, uh, and they gave up seven players to get him. And so I've been really just truly blessed to have been found in a PE class in 1958, taught how to play the game, influenced by one of the greatest players who averaged triple-double in 1962, which was just recently broken, what, 2017, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then having played against all of the great players, what a, and then a chance to coach, to give something back to the game. Only God could have arranged that. I mean, that's it, it, a blessing to be able to do what you enjoy, get a scholarship, get paid for it, and then be able to give something back to the game. I, I have no complaints about the way God has uh, has altered my life or, or directed my life. None at all. Wow. What a history lesson you are, Cassie. And um, I, I, I have um, two final questions. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to know the score of when you played. Oscar <laughs> right. Yeah. How, how did you do? I, I need a score. Uh, for some reason, I cannot remember. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been a lot to a little when you're it, playing Oscar. It may have been a bunch to a little, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Senior, uh, about 6'5". You know, Oscar was 6'5". I was about 6'5 and a half, a little bit taller than the big O. But I learned so many things from he never <laughs> he never looked at the ball. And I mean, what a great lesson in terms of, of – uh, you know who you know who kind of reminds me a little bit of of, of Oscar's poise is uh, the Joker from Denver, Jokic. Oh yeah, just I mean, just as just as smooth. You know he takes it up to the top and he lets the defense react, but he's always ready to pull the trigger. Great passer, Oscar and those guys, Jokic almost like they have a sixth sense for the game. I mean Oscar made a guy like Happy Harrison who came off the bench and averaged 17 because in a running game, Oscar knew exactly what kind of pass to give you. So, you know, what, what a great opportunity to play and, and, and to watch him play. Uh, and, and, and of course the one-on-one just to, just to poise and allow the game to come to him. I mean, just allowed it, you know, he made the move, he made the bounce pass, he made the overhead pass, he made the jumper, he, he, he was in the triple threat position, and it was so great that I learned that because now whatever move you make is dictated by the defense, and for every action, there's a reaction. And it just allowed him, and I learned that 
And I worked on that all summer. And I worked on that my freshman year, working on every time I caught the ball in the triple threat position, fake right, go left. And I really realized that when you drive to the right, it's always the inside leg. I mean, if you make a right-hand layup, just think about that, guys. You guys have played the game. If you make a right-hand layup, you don't go off the left leg, but you can also step away. And when I see guys with footwork in the NBA, I say somebody's been telling them that it, footwork is fundamentally sound. Footwork is, is pivotal to allowing the game to come to you because there's no other way to do it. If you drive to the basket for a right-hand layup, you got to go off the left leg. Now, I know some people who are superstars or super guys and may go off the right leg sometime to break the, to, to break the, uh, what I say, break the timing to throw your defense ball. But basically when you drive, you can spin back, you can step away. If you drive to the left, it becomes the right leg. You can step away, you can spin, you can pump fake. So for me to learn all of these things out of the triple threat position, I've incorporated that in my in my game, in my coaching, in shooting, because you look at a guy like, you know, the Joker from Denver and Kyrie Irving and Oscar Robinson and Larry Bird, they all shot it at the apex. They sold the jumper at the top. And so if you didn't jump at him, you look at Damon Lillard. He does the same thing at the top. And you got to jump at it sometimes or at least challenge him. But if you don't, they take the jumper and they're so prolific that you got to choose. Do you want him to put it on the floor or do you want him to make the three? And so that's what it, it has become a fun chess game for me in terms of realizing how blessed I was to learn those things and then have a chance to share those with uh, in the coaching field. And that's what I'm doing now, you know, with a young lady. Her name is Sadie Russell, and she. I told her, uh, you know, you got a lot to carry with the Russell name, but I only told her that in her ear. I didn't tell her to everybody. <laughs> but she's uh, she's six two, so she does a lot of that. Well, Cassie, they're they're certainly blessed at Flagler to have you as as one of their coaches, and we're so fortunate that you had a chance to join us and share so much wisdom. Um, we we really appreciate you so much, and. We wish you good health, and, and let, let's keep the, this Go Blue thing going on, all right? Thanks, Kelsey. Yeah. yeah, so listen, before you guys run, what, what, what's our schedule for the Big Blue? I know they – I think you mentioned they play Rutgers Thursday. Yep, and then there's a big game against this team from down in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Yes, somewhere down in Columbus. <laughs> big game of the year in the Big Ten. Okay, and, okay, and so are we projected to, to take both of these? We should be, right? Yes, well – it's a top four matchup against Ohio State, and um, I, I think that Ohio State's gonna gonna have a tough battle at Penn State. Before that, um, I, I think it's gonna be a great matchup, Sam. What, so? what, what, what's their record, Tim? What's what's the team down south? What's their record? Um, I think they have four losses. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds that sounds right to me. You know, Ohio State, the thing that has really set them apart, and Tim and I have talked about this a lot, Cassie, is that they have been an exceptional road team and they're 17 and four right now. And they are the number four team in the country. But you look at this run that they're on, they they've been to Wisconsin and beat Wisconsin in their house. They've been to Iowa, beat Iowa in their house to Illinois, beat Illinois in their house Two Rutgers is a tough place to win on the rack right now over there. So they have really turned a lot of heads with their ability to play well on the road. But of course, they're hosting Michigan. Michigan has to go to Columbus to play them coming up here on so, Sunday. So, so we've, only, we've only played them. Sam, we've only played them. We'll have only played them once this year. Yes, only this will be okay. the the only time in the regular season that they play. Okay. They they couldn't meet in the okay. Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament. Right, right. Okay, good. Well, we 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 don't believe in luck, but we believe in hard work, and we believe in guys being consistent both offensively and defensively and needless to say you know you know they got to beat that team down in columbus you know that (laughs) that's not even a conversation piece man (laughs) absolutely so guys thank you so much god bless both of you guys i I wish that you have continued success with your your radio interviews and thank you for just uh, letting me share some of my michigan moments and nba moments with you guys god bless you thanks a lot thanks Cassie. cassie All right, be safe, guys.
Tim, I said before we talked to before we brought Cassie on that you feel like you get a just a great history lesson. Let me admit to you that when I asked him the question about the big O, that was just listening to him talk about considering Cincinnati and knowing that, you know, coming up in that era, you had to if you were liking Cincinnati, it had to be related to Oscar Robinson. I had no idea that there had been this one-on-one interaction. <laughs> that was just a, a, a treat. Call it luck, man. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah, Sam, I um, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, Kevin Garnett, in an article last week, two weeks ago, said that players from the past generations could not play successfully in the NBA today. And and I, I, I hear some of the names, Jerry West and Bill Russell and Kareem and Wilt, Nate Thurmond, and what are your thoughts? I mean, it's hard to imagine that guys like that wouldn't be just as dominant today than they were back in their era. Yeah, man. I mean, the the Big O, and, you know, Big O came up again when we were talking to Dick Vitale. And, I mean, look, some some guys are timeless. Some guys are ageless. Uh, you know, some guys who can play in any era and be dominant and listening to Kazzy talk. I mean, you just get that feeling about a lot of guys that he talked about. I mean, he and he makes a great point. I mean, so many, so much of the focus when you talk about greatness, so much of the, the focus is on points. And I think that's why maybe sometimes people don't say Bill Russell. Uh, but you mean, he he gave his team what his team needed. Right. I mean, defense, rebound and scoring, too. But he didn't have to score like Will Chamberlain. I mean, said, I think that's the kind of the point that Cassie was making. Yeah, it's crazy to think that Bill Russell played at what six nine, two hundred and five pounds. Like he's a the size of an NBA small forward today. But you just have to believe that that the ability to change the game in whatever way you need that that he would have been dominant whenever he played against whoever he played. Mm, mm, just a a real treat, a real treat to hear from the best the guy and it was interesting to hear his emotions as he went up and saw that mural but it's it's fitting i mean you got to show his imprint on the building uh, because without him maybe there is no building i think that's that's kind of the point uh but let's let's segue to a a game a matchup that i mentioned before we broadcast you on and that was the the matchup between will cheddar and chet holmgren their teams met Earlier this week, and everyone knew that, you know, Will Cheddar comes from a town of 6,000 people, man. I mean, small town, you know, small team. You know, he is clearly, clearly the best player uh, by a large margin. And so there's this feeling among some analysts that, ah, he just beats up on on overmatched guys. So this was an opportunity for him to show that he could he could perform well against a big timer. And I thought he really held his own, but I'm curious what you thought when you watched it. Well, it was my first time watching him play. I've seen all kinds of videos of him. Um, and it's not easy to go against Chet Holmgren and Minnehaha. Uh, it's, it's difficult to judge Cheddar in such an epic mismatch. His team doesn't run much offense. They, they couldn't really get him the ball where he needs it. I immediately liked his versatility. He can go inside and has a, a little bit of post game. I I am um, I liked the Luke Garza post move where he started middle and came back to the baseline for a jump. That hook. was great. Um, yeah, it, it's really hard to match up one on one against an agile defender like Chet Holmgren at seven foot four that can move his feet. Um, so when I think about Cheddar, I immediately ask, does he look like a Big Ten player? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. Um, I could see him being a really good fit at Northwestern, um, at Wisconsin. I, I, I kept going on and on to myself thinking, I wonder how he will handle the recruiting around him. Um, because I think he was the first recruit for Juwan this season. And when you saw the blow up, of, of the, the best class in the country by bringing in Houston and Duvati and, and, you know, Frankie Collins. And is there going to be um, a spot for Cheddar down the road because of the fact that if, if Juwan's going to be bringing in number one recruiting classes each year, 
is he going to get overwhelmed by the talent? You can only put five guys out there. And, and, and so as the game went on, I, I kept thinking about Isaiah Livers, how much he's improved during his career. And I know he started in the national championship game as a freshman, but he's added pieces. And if you can shoot the ball, you can find a spot on the court. And so, Sam, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts. I'm sure that came up in your mind at some point. Over recruited his position down the road. Yeah, I, I think you. I think you look at a roster like a puzzle, is what I think. And I think that the the role that they have laid out for him is one that I think he fits perfectly into, uh, because I think he won't be a guy who comes in with the expectation as a true freshman. I got to have my minutes right now, so I can get out the door. So you you have that. I think he's gonna understand and know his role right away, but there's value in what he brings to the table right now. You got to have shooting, Tim, got to have shooting. Caleb, and it's like, it's like Austin Davis, right? Yeah. The, the older he, you need, you need some gray beards. You, you do, you do. But I, I think that he has the potential to contribute earlier than, than Austin did uh, because his, you know, the, the ability to to stretch the floor, and he's a little bit. I mean that that play where he catches it at the top, dribbles to his left, spins back to the middle, and finishes. That showed me a little something that I didn't know he had. And just that one play, because you you talked about Chet being an agile defender. You know, watching him do that, I said, okay, he he's he has a little more to him. Not that Michigan is going to ask him to do that. I'm thinking more about his ability to stay on the floor. You know, right now it took it took Austin a minute to be able to stay on the floor. I don't think it'll take Will Cheddar as long to be able to do that. But shooting, I mean, with with the rim attackers they have, you know, Frankie Collins is a penetrator. You know, he's working on this jump shot. Kobe Bufkin is a versatile guy. Slasher can shoot it some. Same thing with with Barnes. But you need those floor spacers, those floor stretchers. Caleb Houston and Will Cheddar are not down shooters. So at, at the position that he plays to be able to have that, even if it's for a few minutes a game to start, I think there's value in that. And I don't think that he is going to be a guy that has a problem with that specialty role being one that he plays early in his career. And then maybe later in his career, he can command more minutes. But I just think that, like I said, a puzzle piece is, is a roster. And our a puzzle or a roster is, is a puzzle. And he's a, he's a piece that I can see more as we watched him play his senior season. And certainly in that game, I, I can see the fit even more now than I did before. Yeah. Well, he's got good form on a shot. He's a quarterback. Um, so he's got some toughness. He's smart. And, and, and I, and I do think that the stretch four position is becoming more and more point important. So at the end of the game, I gave him a B plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He it wasn't an efficient game. He was six for 19 from the field, 19 points. But you got to understand the team. I mean, his team was overmatched. His team, you know, he did everything he could, and those threes he hit were deep, deep, mm-hmm. and over Chet Holmgren. So that that showed me something too. Uh, was impressed, even if it wasn't the most efficient outing. I think that was just a matter of the circumstances he faced with. Can his you team. imagine the the first time he gets a wide open three will probably be wearing a Michigan uniform because nobody is going to leave him in high school. You're right. You're absolutely right. All right, Tim. So let's uh, let's turn to the to the task at hand for the Maize and Blue, the team that's here and now. Uh, they got a couple of games in front of them that are, uh, you know, if you I don't know what you were thinking initially coming out of the pause when you looked at the schedule and you saw okay, at Wisconsin. Home against Rutgers at Ohio State. I don't know what you predicted that record would be, uh, but I wonder if your prediction changed in the aftermath of that Wisconsin game and how you see this Rutgers game playing out. When I first looked at it, like many, I thought, okay, Michigan's got at Wisconsin at Ohio State. If they can split, that's good. And and the problem with that is I said Wisconsin, Ohio State, and didn't mention Rutgers. Um <laughs> Rutgers has never, ever beaten Michigan. To put that in perspective, they've already beaten Illinois, Purdue, Maryland, and Indiana this year. Steve Peichel is a really good coach. He will beat Michigan at some point. Um, I worked some of his games at Stony Brook. 
they're very good on the defensive end. They just beat Northwestern and held them to 50 points. Uh, Miles Johnson is going to be a really hard matchup, I believe, for Hunter Dickinson. He, he moves and reminds me of uh, a little bit of Travion Williams. You know, just big and physical, a good athlete, can move, he can block shots. Not as good on the offensive end, but but bring some of that imposing will. Uh, Ron Harper's coming off a double-double. And, and, and so I think that if you don't respect Rutgers, you're going to get beat. And Sam, did you realize they've won five of six? I did. I, I realized they won five of six. I realized none of those teams are ranked. Uh, I realized that they won that five of six after they lost five straight when they were playing those 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 other teams. I say that not to not to disrespect Rutgers. It's more to put into perspective uh, who and what they are. And I agree with you that if Michigan, they are a team that if you overlook them, they are so athletic, they're so gritty, they're so tough, they're so physical that they will beat you, no doubt. But you talked earlier in the, in this podcast about culture, and I just culture this team, Tim. I can't see them overlooking anyone, let alone Rutgers. That's that's an advantage of of culture is that that accountability that 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 you've got mature guys. Um, I, I just I think that that Mike Smith is now really comfortable with his role. Um, he's changed from being a scorer to a leader and a facilitator. Livers is the vocal guy. Franz is emotional and fiery. And they're going to have to play that way because Rutgers can really defend. Top five in the Big Ten in defense. Number two in block shots. Number one in steals. There's no doubt that they're going to play physical. And 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 if Michigan doesn't come out, I, 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 I worry about looking beyond this to Ohio State because you can't help but think about how exciting that game's going to be. Right. I guess for me, if, you know, watching Michigan come off the pause and be hyper-focused, I have a hard time, again, seeing them overlook a, a team that they know. They they know what Rutgers is about. They know that Rutgers will, will punch you in the mouth. And I think Rutgers' issue is that Michigan has so many weapons. Can, can, can you force all of them to have an off night? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I just – especially – a team that you look at them and while Ron Harper Jr. Uh, is coming off a double-double, as you said, back when you put him on the All-Big Ten team, Tim, he was averaging over 20 points a game. I mean, it was – he was it killing. slipped, hasn't it? Yeah, he's, it slipped. He, yeah he slipped off of that pace uh, some. And they just – you know, they shoot it somewhat better, but only like a percentage from, from three. I mean, Jacob Young is really responsible for their better three-point shooting, like him individually, but everyone else is – shooting about what they shot. So this is not a team that overwhelms you offensively. They stifle you defensively and turn that into offense. Can they do that against a Michigan team? I, I just the only way that happens is if Michigan overlooks them. If we if Michigan winds up losing that game, we'll come back on this podcast and I'll say, Tim, you pointed out the one thing that could make them lose this game in my opinion, and it'll be something that we haven't seen them do all season that's overlooking opponent. I agree. I, I do see this as a double-figure victory. I, I do think it will be very close in the first half, and Michigan will wear them out, probably get a little motivation in the second half. Um, but, but, but you're right. Jacob Young and Ron Harper Jr. are going to get you about 30 points. Now, if you do a good job on everybody else, then, then you're going to hold them below 60 and probably win comfortably. Yeah, and the focus has to be on that. I, I know you, Tim. I know you. You're like, hey, let's focus on Rutgers. Don't start looking ahead to Ohio State. Everyone's talking about that top five matchup. Sam had me talking about Ohio State last week. I know I did, Tim. I know. But it, <laughs> but it's, it's it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting. It's it's really exciting. And not just on the men's side. I mean, the men, the women play Ohio State. You remember when the women played Ohio State last time? It was when uh, it was when Nas Hillman dropped fifty on them. And she didn't have her her the the Robin to her Batman in that game, so that's going to be a really good matchup on Sunday as well. The hockey team is playing Ohio State. It's like Michigan Ohio State weekend. Uh, it should be a lot of fun to take in. 
Yeah, and Sam, please don't ask me to break down the Ohio State game because if we're telling our basketball team to not look ahead, then I'm not going to look ahead either. I'm staying focused on Rutgers 100%. I got you, Tim. I got you. Folks, look, if you want Tim's take on Ohio State, you can listen to that last podcast because he went really in-depth on it. But I get it, and I understand. That's why I said I know my man Tim McCormick. As always, Tim, uh, a great pleasure Another really fun podcast. Folks, if you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review it. Tell your friends all about it. Uh, We'll be back next week, hopefully, talking about a three-game winning streak. We'll be joining you again next week on the Michigan Basketball Insider.